Yeah, for sure. Because sometimes uh, a book that gets weird and bizarre can tie itself together in a way that makes sense and goes, oh, that's the whole picture at the end. Right. Speaking of... <laughs> you want to talk about this book? <laughs> Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hi, genre junkies. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. And, <laughs> okay, it's kind of become a joke. I always say it's a very special episode of genre <laughs> junkies. But um, this one is because we have a guest reviewer <laughs> joining us who hasn't been on the show for a minute. It's been a long time. Well, it hasn't been that long. It's been a while. It's been too long. It's been too it's long. It's been forever. Um, I am so excited to welcome back to the show. My sister and really good reader <laughs> um, and reviewer. She reads at a seventh grade level at least. <laughs> and I only have to sound out some of the words. Some of the words. No, my sister. Which, by I'm, the way, we shouldn't say that. We shouldn't say that. Because yeah, some people do struggle to read. And you it's know what? Fine. Hey, if you need to sound out those words, sound them out. Yeah, sound do them out, it. baby. <laughs> um, Manda, welcome back. Hi, everybody. Hey, it's so good to have you have you here with us. Um, and if you're here, that means we're either talking about a certain like little chunk of sci-fi or we're talking about um, <laughs> fantasy. So it is uh, it is the latter. Is it the latter or the former? Uh, when I say it like that, is it the latter or the former? Well, in this case, it's the latter. The latter. <laughs> I always get that confused in my head, that phrase. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about House of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron A. Craig. But before we get into it, Manda, how are you? How's quarantine okay. treating you? Quarantine? You're only going slightly mad. Only okay. slightly boxed Perfect. in. Perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm lucky enough to have internet access and to have somebody to be in quarantine with me so i'm more fortunate than a lot of people <laughs> preach <laughs> preach um yes um i'm gonna say same um <laughs> for for us pretty much across the board same pretty much across the board same i was going to say um has anybody got any cool genre related media to share um i had one i'll start us off Go for it. Scott, you have to remind me because I get confused. Have I talked about Hagasusa on this show? I do not believe you have. Okay. So <laughs> I get confused between the shows I do. Um, but I watched a movie called Hagasusa, um, and it is a German witch movie. And it is an art house horror. Um, it is just absolutely beautiful. It's violent. It's weird it's so weird it's um a lot to interpret it was kind of like after the witch the david edgar edgar's movie that we all love the vivich came out germany was like we have we have a folklore witch story too and here it is <laughs> and um brilliant young director put it out i can't wait to see more of what he does strong strong trigger content warning for sexual assault and whole bunch of horrible things happening but it's a story of a woman who lives in this village i believe it's the uh, 15th century might be this maybe 16th century in germany and she is believed to be a witch as her mother before her was and it's kind of her life story and it is like i said it's so oh it's a lot it's visceral but it's gorgeous and I talked about it over on Spooky Slumber Party, and my co-host, Emma, you guys all know Emma, her and Kelly have been on the show, she was looking at pictures on her phone, and she was like, don't take this the wrong way, but this movie looks so you. And it's like, yeah, and it is. It really is. So I, I was so delighted to find it, and it's um, kind of a wintry tale, too. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd recommend that. Well, mine... Um, I recently reintroduced myself to a film that I haven't seen in a very long time. This is not genre related, sir. Is it not genre related? Okay, you sell it. You sell it. I I guess it's not really. It's I like to think of it as science fiction, even though it's like science past. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I was talking to one of our author friends, and a reference came up that I didn't immediately get, and I realized, oh my god, I need to rewatch this movie because it's been so long. And I watched Sneakers. Oh, oh, I love it! I love it to the rafters. Absolutely, that movie that is, a good is one. so good, so feel, good. Yeah, it holds up on so many levels too. And I knew I had I had seen it before, but I must have been so young that I forgot so much about it. So I didn't have that like really strong connection to it. That is I'm going to watch that movie over and over and over again. I love it so much. The acting is oh fantastic. Goodness. The plot is great. All the little sciencey stuff, even though, you know, <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of kids who would not understand what any of that was. It still feels like really high tech to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it was high tech. You know, you got to go from where they're starting <laughs> to, yeah. to how they figure out how to do things without actually having, you know, nanotechnology or whatever, <laughs> whatever we've developed since then. But I mean, the cast yeah. is great. That's that's a good one. It's kind of spy sort of genre-y, right? There's something there. Yeah. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's, 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 it's science fine. fiction past... Yeah. Current. Speculative. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I've just been very excited about that all week. So I just wanted Aww. to get it out there. How about you? Well, uh, for me, this one came out um, earlier this year in 2020. But 2020 has been like, what, 600 years plus like two minutes long, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, anyway, it's the show Cursed on Netflix. Oh, my God. I still have to watch that. And that's based on a book series. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, basically if it, if people don't know what it's about, it's uh, a retelling or a reimagining of uh, could say the Arthur legend, but it's not focused on Arthur, but it's it's Arthurian lore. Um, it's actually focused on the story of Nimue, who usually gets pretty short shrift in the Arthur stories. Usually, she's just like bad witch, and then <laughs> bad like, witch go we kind away. Of, <laughs> kind of just leave it there this one is the story of her kind of as um a girl young woman kind of coming into her power and it's a uh, it's like i said 10 parts it's just the first season uh hopefully they'll do more i don't see why they wouldn't i thought it was really good really well put together a really interesting take on all these different characters that you know from the legend if you're at all familiar with it and if you're not familiar with it they'll they'll just weave the story for you so don't worry about it highly recommend I have been meaning to watch that. You know, it's it's hard. It takes us a long time to get through TV shows, but I can't wait to watch that. And of course, I'm a huge Arthurian lore fan, as is Amanda. Scott's kind of a novice, but it's cool. <laughs> but that's we okay. We welcome all people here. Yes. We welcome all people. So speaking really of... quickly. Oh, yeah. What's the character's name? Nimue. Nimue? Nimue? Oh my God. No, no. don't. Don't sing it. <laughs> Okay, I won't sing it. No, sing it. Go no, on. I'm not going to sing it. You told me not to. Sing. I'm not. Why I won't. sing it, Scott? I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the poor cat just like, ah! Like, <laughs> if you've not... <laughs> if you've not heard Scott sing The Lion Sleeps Tonight, you are missing out on something in your life. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about House of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron A. Craig. Annalie lives a sheltered life at Highmore, a manor by the sea, with her sisters and their father and stepmother. Once there were 12, but loneliness fills the grand halls now that four of the girls' lives have been cut short. Each death was more tragic than the last. The plague, a plummeting fall, a drowning, a slippery plunge, and there are whispers throughout the surrounding villages that the family is cursed by the gods. Disturbed by a series of ghostly visions, Annalie becomes increasingly suspicious that her sister's deaths were no accidents. The girls have been sneaking out every night to attend glittering balls, dancing until dawn in silk gowns and shimmering slippers, and Annalie isn't sure whether to try to stop them or to join their forbidden trysts, because who or what are they really dancing with? So this is a reimagining of the 12 dancing princesses fairy tale. I didn't know this was actually a retelling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I take it you weren't familiar with the 12 dancing princesses then. I am I'm not. I've never heard of it. Okay. I will also say that um, you know, as you all know, I am not big into reading uh book jackets. No, you have me to do that for you. This is a book that I'm I kind of wish I read the book jacket on. Yeah. 
I kind of wish I did. That's why they put them out there, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, this book is blurbed by Melissa Albert, who we adore, um, and also Stephanie Garber, who wrote Caraval. Um I have my library copy here, and oh my God, this book is so gorgeous. This is one of like my favorite covers I've seen in a long time. The font is beautiful and curling, and the the color on it is like gold and rust and like like kind of oxidized blue. And uh, there's like these oceany, almost tide pool looking things on the front and you can see little little urchins and some tentacles and some creatures and it carries over to the back and then the end papers are oh my god they're gorgeous they're black and they have silver octopuses and chandeliers and seahorses and stuff I would say that this book jacket and all of its, all of what it contains really, really beautifully captures like the setting and the mood. Yes. Um, never mind the actual motifs that are in the story. So it's, yeah. it's really well done piece of art by itself. It really is. It's just gorgeously done. Um, big, big fan. Big fan. <laughs> so let's just kind of go around the circle and kind of give uh, a little summarization and our experience with this book. Um, Amanda, I'd love for you to go first. Okay, great. Well, so my ex my own personal experience of it was, I would say it was a page turner. I was eager to see what the next thing was, what the next piece of the mystery is that Annalie is uh, seeing unfold around her that she's uh, investigating. Um, I, I, I was uh, quite taken with it. Okay, how about you, Scott? So my own personal experience with the book was that it was a book. I this this is written in a style that is very not my wheelhouse. It is very descriptive. It is very flowery. And I don't mean to say this is a bad thing, but the storytelling is a little meandering. It's a slow burn in a way that um when you combine those things, it's not really my wheelhouse of book. I actually did enjoy it, but you know, it it just read like a book to me. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, that's totally, totally fine, of course. Um, luckily, I have Amanda here, so I don't feel quite so att personally attacked. Um, no, for me, this was definitely a page turner. Absolutely. And I mean, like, literally, as I was finishing the book, I was doing the like, I've got the book in my hand, and I'm like, g -g 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 -g, you know, like, I can't turn the pages fast enough. <laughs> To read it, um, I hated putting it down. It is definitely flowery, poetic, you know, lush language. And we all know that I, I tend to enjoy that here on the show because I like a little bit of that, you know, especially when I'm reading fantasy, I like that kind of transform, you know, really takes you on a journey kind of vibe. Um, this book was surprisingly uh, gothic and dark and had horror elements um, to its fantasy. So it's kind of a dark fantasy in a way. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it, yeah, I had a really great time reading this. The pr Okay, can we just, can we just, the setting. <laughs> oh, the setting. And I know, it's, Scott, you like the setting. I love the setting. Yes. It, there's a lot of things about this book to love and the setting is probably one of my favorite things it's very original and inventive when it comes to the geography as well as the in the the what's it called the system what's what are you laughing at over I'm there i'm making like like oh faces but <laughs> very, very <professorial laughs> they started faces, like they started like serious and then i was realizing that like yeah and they kind but, of and then i had to start doing them too so <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm really <laughs> fascinated know. by by the the their religious system as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's obviously based on you know real deities in a way, but it's also very original in its own way as well. Yes, I agree. I I think she did a fantastic job of world building in a really short period of time, and it was a fully it was a fully realized world too. Like these people are very much you know, of the sea and that the sea is absolutely the center of their religious and um, working lives and everything else. Like I, I really, really dug that too. 
Um, and there's been other books and other things that kind of give that vibe, like Sea Witch. Um, there's <laughs> there's the people in Game of Thrones <laughs> that are of the sea. Um, you know, I mean, like there's something very appealing about <clears throat> sea people. <laughs> um, I don't know quite how to put it, but I mean, this is like like sea witch it's like you're reading this book and it's like you feel the salt spray you taste mm-hmm. the brine on your lips <laughs> um it is so like you just feel like you're there and i 100 agree scott i am obsessed with their gods i am obsessed obsessed with their gods um i love how it starts out with her sister Yulele's burial and they're in like their family crypt and it's like they shove you into the ocean in your coffin and it's like it's not like anything i've ever read i like the idea of having a crypt that really is a tide pool yes that's what it is you wait Mm -hmm. until the tide comes in and then it it carries you off and Pontus is the god that they worship there in this pantheon, who's the sea god. And it's like, yeah, it's like we're from the salt, we're of the salt, and we return to the salt. And it's something really cool about it. Um, this kind of gave me some Kendar Blake vibes um, a little bit, uh-huh. too, because it's kind of like it's hard to pin down a time period that's completely like something in our history. You know what I mean? Like they use carriages, but at the same time, there, there's some stuff that feels turn of the 20th century, and then there's stuff that feels like really ancient too. Um, so I liked that. I had like a lot of different, and the cuts of their dresses and everything, I had a lot of different time periods kind of going on in my mind. It has a Completely bit of a agree. Victorian yeah. feel at Definitely. times. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's kind of rooted in that, like stylistically, as far as, you know, if you can envision the actual stuff that's there. But then she kind of goes her own direction with it. You know, it's not all about uh, crinolines and whalebone corsets. Like, it just turns out like that's, you know, it's it's just kind of a, yeah, it's just a stylistic uh, place to start, I think. I would actually say a lot of this is about uh, crinolines and corsets. However, (laughs) there's a lot of costuming in this book. The clothes, the costuming plays an important role sure i just meant she didn't necessarily go into the uh, structure of a garment (laughs) (laughs) yes no i i I know i it's a it's a it's called a segue (laughs) (laughs) oh i see can you explain that to me in a way i would appreciate um A, a lot of the description in this book that that I knew would be right up Sandra's alley and probably right up yours as well. This is one of the things where Amanda and I actually do differ in our, in the things that we like is um, I don't need to know what all of the dresses look like. That's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's a problem. (laughs) I, I, but the way that she describes it paints a very vivid picture. Um, Amanda and I are more of the school of, I need to be able to feel the wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know what that feels like. I need to know what this dress is exactly like. (laughs) I mean, I can jump off with, with little detail, but given my druthers, particularly in a story that is basically about princesses, I want to know exactly what color, exactly what cut, precisely what the sheen of the shoe is i want to know all of it (laughs) i so appreciate that um kind of on that note too um because i don't want to give too too much away but this is a fun story where you know you have a, a huge kind of cast specifically made up of these sisters um and we don't get to know all of them in great detail but i did feel um I did feel it was fun to get a glimpse at some of these and some of them just like they're not so much the focus like Camille's a big focus Annalise a big focus Verity's a big focus and I liked I liked that they were all pretty different girls too yeah I like that she did a good job of differentiating with um you know kind of a cast of thousands and you're right we didn't get to necessarily know everybody individually very well but you don't necessarily need to you know it's like there's a story to be told we don't have to go into everybody's life story although i felt very strongly that she knows them yes she she could she could give you a a good chapter or so on each one of them and their their fears and their delights and whatnot um but yeah yeah i agreed 
I like how you put it where ultimately this is a story about princesses. And I feel like the author used uh, a really um, strong tactic of basically uh, attributing a, 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 you know, a tropey base to each sister and then built on top of that to make them fully realized characters. But you have, you know, the rebellious ones and you have the, you know, kind of pretty flighty ones and you have the curious inquisitive ones um and you have the animal lover ones in a way i mean (laughs) you you start with these basic ideas and then build from it and i think that that's why the princesses while they are very much one family they do feel different and unique there's one thing i wanted to talk about a little bit and i don't want to spoil it so we're we're just going to kind of touch on it but since i am of the three of us definitely the biggest horror gore spooky person i was like surprised erin really went there and she is a spooky fan reading her reading about her so i i thought that was really really cool that uh you know she she really goes there with these horror elements yeah i didn't see that coming in a story that was a retelling of a of a you know, what is usually a pretty glossy fairy tale. Yeah. Um, however, not, but that's not to say it like came out of nowhere when things happen. Like, like you said, the tone of it is kind of dark fantasy. It's kind of, it feels a little spooky from the beginning. I mean, it starts out at a, starts out at a funeral, right? So, you know, you're not in for sunshine and roses the whole time. Well, and and I, I realized when I was reading the, the afterward that this was actually part of pit dark, which is a, which is a, I think it's a quarterly or maybe twice a year thing on Twitter. There's lots of different pitch uh, events, mm-hmm. but it is for dark literary fiction. Right. So they, they post their elevator pitch on Twitter and people, you know, retweet it and it gets, you know, and it gets recognition from publishers that say, you know what? I'm interested in that. I'll buy that. It's so cool. So That's cool. A very cool way to get more voices out there. I love that. And especially for darker, darker works, which is, I mean, we like that. <laughs> we do. And traditionally, especially for YA fantasy, there were, they, I don't know, the publishers just thought like, oh, people don't want to read that. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, we do. Yeah, it's people do. For it. <laughs> so, but, it's the reason why a lot of little kids, their favorite uh, characters and cartoons are the villains. Like, we're, we're fascinated by scary. <laughs> some of us never grow out of it. <laughs> so that's a hashtag I'll be following on Twitter. Heck yeah. Cool. Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. So before we hop into the spoiler section, what is um what is the appeal score for this book? I am going to give this a broad appeal. I think that this appeals to a lot of people. Uh anyone who likes, you know, romance stories, fantasy, uh dark literary fiction as we called it there's a lot of people that this book is absolutely for and will absolutely adore and i think that i think it belongs in a broad category Mm, i think i'm i'm inclined to agree somewhere probably between a broad and a general but um because i do think that it would really help to be somebody that likes fantasy somebody that likes dark stuff i mean something like a jumping off point to you know, kind of like really cement their interest in the story. But I could see like lots of different people from all kinds of walks of life, ages and whatnot getting into this. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, broad and then like tipping into general a little bit just because because uh, it does kind of swing from fairy tale to which, you know, fairy tales traditionally dark, but yeah, fairy tales to kind of getting more into a horror uh, vibe. So, yeah, somewhere in there. But it's, you know, regardless, it's fun. It's a fun story. And especially coming from Amanda, who does like, you know, dark stuff, but does not like horror one bit. So that's yeah, always- like, tr- like like full on real horror is not my thing. I, I, I love it when you mix genres a little bit here and there anyway. Like, I think that that often makes any kind of story stronger. Um, so for for that, I really appreciate it. Fabulous. You'll never see Amanda in October on our show. (laughs) (laughs) She goes into hiding and is waiting until Christmas. And then she emerges. Yeah. I like the cute pumpkins. That's what I like. (laughs) (laughs) And then she emerges covered in tinsel and sugar plums. And she's happy. Let my people rain. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Let's head over to the spoiler section. We'll be back. 
enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. All right, we're back. Um, I could not think of a better way to start off the spoiler section than, than with something that's not spoilery at all. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's to say how I really think that Aaron A. Craig seems like our type of person. Oh, my gosh. The writer I, of this book. I yeah. agree. I We... Uh... We tried to get an interview with the author, and it just kind of fell through for a few reasons. Uh, I really want to talk to her. <laughs> I want to talk to you, Erin. <laughs> you got some. We got some talking to do here, ma'am. No, uh, all in good ways. Um, she studied theater and production design. She um, stage managed professionally, which stop it. Which is something I Amanda has done as worked, yeah. worked as unite. <laughs> worked as a stage manager, a theater professional. And um, it says in her bio, she stage managed tragic operas filled with hunchback seances and murderous clowns, then decided she wanted to write books that were just as spooky. And um, I love it here too. She says she's an avid reader, a decent quilter, and a rabid basketball fan and a collector of typewriters. <laughs> and I'm like, would you just get in here? Like, let's just start making friendship bracelets. Let's do this. Yeah, it's like, Aaron, you're going to love us. Specifically, you will like the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> because she's going to need Amanda's groundedness. Because otherwise, Scott and I are a little too flighty and fancy, I'm sure, for a stage manager type. We're you the know, one we, that we, stage managers are wrangling. We <laughs> flock to you, people. We're, you're the reason we are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really cool because, I mean, like, obviously, a lot of people such as Amanda, worked as professional stage managers. But that's not something you, like, hear people talk about. Like, oh, yeah, I've stage managed professionally. <laughs> no, it's very true. Generally, if I ever talk about my history doing that, people are just sort of smiling blankly. I'm like, I need to explain what that job they is. They don't but get what you, that is. You have, oh, any anybody in the entire world, almost point blank, has interacted with, in some way, the work of a stage manager, whether you knew it were there or not. Yeah. But that's the point. You're not supposed to know they're there. Basically, for those who don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in my words. A stage manager is somewhere between like a director, and you're also like the police <laughs> um, of all the actors and all the crew. They keep everything running. They especially make sure that everything in the backstage and technical stuff is going off. But they, you know, they make sure that actors know where to be and when to be there. Yeah, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of but work. Traditionally, a director's like last day of work, if you will, is opening night, right, of their show. So, stage manager's job is basically to to protect and shepherd the director's vision through the course of the production, and that's kind of anything that that entails. Yeah. So that's just like yeah. <laughs> that's what you find a point on. <clears throat> so that's just really cool that it's like, oh yeah, we we got you, girl. <laughs> um, and I love I love that she likes spooky things. It's very evident in this book. Uh, the turtle scene will not leave me. I think for a very long time. Fair. The turtle scenes rarely do. Well, there's two <laughs> turtle scenes. <laughs> The one that's more cannibal holocaust in nature. Is oh, that is the one? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I thought you were talking about like the, the bathtub scene, which that was very sweet and will stick with me. And I want a bathtub full of baby turtles. Well, yeah. Mm. But yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously. I have not seen cannibal Hol holocaust. I've only heard you talk about cannibal holocaust. And likewise, it is, it's, it's been a little bit too recent since that conversation yeah. for that scene to have entered into my brain space. I feel like like Aaron, please tell me. I feel like it was a cannibal Holocaust Easter egg a little bit. I do, I do, and I feel, I feel it. Aaron, please don't let me down. Please tell me that's what it was. <laughs> um, of something, I mean, just barbaric and disgusting happening to a turtle. But um, there's a lot of effective imagery. I mean, Cosma, what the, Cosmaris, Kalamata, oh, <laughs> delicious, Cosmaris. How freaking cool is a Casa Morris? She's a harbinger. <laughs> she's terrifying. She's terrifying. Yeah. She's terrifying. The weeping woman. La Llorona. Yeah, no, I, I, 
I'm scared. You know, I'm scared. There, I'm scared, man. There's so much conversation of of you know all powerful deities when it comes to like Greek and Roman mythology, and when it really when it really comes down to they're either like they're they're their real superpower is that they're either really angry, they're either uh really tricky, or they're really strong. Ultimately, it comes down to that, right? You know, Zeus, what does he do? He throws lightning bolts. Uh, you know, the, the, the tricksters are basically just playing tricks on people. This being, this weeping woman, just like drives you insane yeah. in a truly horrifying way. Yes. And I, I don't think I've I've read another deity with that much true power to do that. It, this effectively, at least. It's pretty cool. It is, it is. And especially with a character whose sole purpose is truly to do that. Yeah, and um, man, effectively too, not only is she scary, but that was part of the real page-turnery part of this book for me, was when you're trying to figure out what is real, what is not, what is madness, um, who is to be trusted, um, and I think that using this, you know, little demigoddess of magic, uh, of nightmares and stuff was a great device. I feel like this book really popped off at the point when she, they're dancing in the middle of their of their bedrooms. Oh, Jesus. And I recognize that's like 90% of the way through the book, but that's when this book went just like zero to 90 for me i'm like yeah. oh oh i am so into this i am so excited for this well like when you see um camille dancing and it's like she's being dipped she's bending at this like Ooh. unnatural angle and it's like and their eyes are closed and it's like oh my god they've been in the house the whole time the whole time all of these all of these nights they were in the house the whole time yeah. shut that up was a big reveal shut that was up big reveal <laughs> I could have thrown this book across the room. I was like, oh my God. It's just so creepy. <laughs> like, And it makes sense because, you know, I was kind of like, God, there's all these servants, there's all these people. I'm like, when are they getting caught eventually? I was kind of waiting for them to get caught. Yeah, and there's so many of these girls. Too. <laughs> yeah, like, really? Crazy. Not one of them? Yeah. Even no the little ones? Yeah. They're just, they're too tricky. They're too tricky. Um. Another goddess in this book is Versia, which is Cassius's mummy, um, making him half god. Um, I love her world, her sanctum, goddess of the stars, and all of that. Just so beautiful. Another, yeah, beautiful and very kind of original feeling um, uh, setting, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know, Ness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. Tell me if I'm wrong. I didn't trust Morella from page one and not trust no, her. No, I, I agree. And I even went back and looked at it and I was like, no, you know, because Annalie is trying to give her the benefit of the doubt at the very beginning. Like she's yeah. trying like, oh, she makes dad happy. That's cool. The little tiny girls needed kind of a mom. Yeah. She's kind of a mom. But from the beginning, like, wow, she's focused on her story. She's focused on her endgame and isn't too concerned with other people's happiness. Um, I appreciate that Aaron wrote that character of a woman, of a pregnant woman, and really let her go grimdark. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. You don't get to see that much. Because I honestly, like, even though I didn't trust Morella, I didn't know exactly what she was doing. I, you know, I was like, she she somehow she's involved in this, she's put a curse on this. I knew she was doing something. But um, you know, there's all these signs that like she has like a sweet side and stuff. And so I was like, Well, I don't think that Aaron A. Craig would <laughs> take this woman to that place. And oh yeah. She did. And you can be pregnant and be nice sometimes and still be evil. <laughs> I think it's the message. <laughs> well, so yeah, so she, she had more than one gear, which is also really great. Yes. You know, you, it, it makes it not be just a cardboard cutout. 
yeah, she's not just a scorned woman. Um, she had a lot. She, like she got really screwed by Orton, and she did. She did, and she does. I think care for the girls spe- in her way, especially you know, Annalie, because she even says that she didn't want anything bad to happen to Annalie because Annalie really stepped up and was taking care of her. Was her friend? Right. Yes. Yeah. She like really, really, one of the trying. first friends she probably ever had. Yeah, and I mean, she's also Marilla is from Viscardi's realm. Uh, well, where they worship him. And so that's kind of like their culture, <laughs> like, you know, kind of yeah. Old Testament-ish, <laughs> you know, type of thing. I definitely suspected her from the beginning. But the author did something really interesting in in creating a last-minute red herring. Yes. That at first, you know, it was presented in the book like, oh, this is the solution. This is absolutely what happened. Her uncle set everything up. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's actually kind of an unsatisfying answer. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of setup for this. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, there wasn't really a whole lot of hints. I don't know how I feel about this. This kind of, like resolution like we just learned that her uncle has a complicated past with her family and yeah and and i actually i thought that that was pretty effective in in adding to kind of the the insanity yes of of the ending where you really don't know you don't know what's real at all anymore like she immediately jumped to this and is that just she jumped to it for no reason was that put into her head is that actually the case but now she's questioning it that was a really cool idea to she's do that. kind of babbling on there for a little bit i mean oh she's plunged into a dark abyss for a little bit and you know you're seeing this stuff from her family and it's like and you just want to shake them and at the same time you're like or is Annalie not <laughs> not is right she about crazy? this? Yeah. Right. And then suddenly nobody remembers Cassius. And it's like, the fuck? Like, <laughs> that, that was a cool, like, wait, did I? Wait, let me go back a page. Am I crazy? Am I crazy? Well, yeah. And, um, you know, I was really worried about Fisher, too, because I was like, you know, it's it's not unusual to have a love triangle, but this isn't really a love triangle because she doesn't have those feelings for Fisher. And that's very clear pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Like she turns him down, like as soon as he kind of makes <laughs> shoots his shot there a little bit. Turns out it wasn't really him. It's Casamaris wearing him like a meat suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh you know, I was kind of like, oh, but like, what's going to happen to Fisher? I was like, kind of worried about him. And then it's like, you know, that reveal of like, girl, you never even knew Fisher. Fisher's been dead in this whole book, Sandra. You're a fool. And I, <laughs> you're a fool. <laughs> and then I was having moments of like, please tell me I can trust Cassius. Please tell me I can trust him. <laughs> Somebody else, right? There's got to be a buddy here. <laughs> And then Verity, oh my god, and of course poor Verity, she was like Cosmaris's like little pet project. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love Verity and and just the spookiness of her comes in early too, like she's like chapter 4 or something when she comes in and is crying and Annalise holding her and she's like what's wrong and she's like you Laylee is being mean to me. It's like, "Whoa. Well, we just were at the funeral, right?" <laughs> It's like I know I'm just getting to know these girls, but isn't that the dead one? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, like I just, but you know, little girl coming to you and telling you things about the dead girl who's playing tricks on her, like, Uh, like it's it's classic and it's it's classic for a reason. It's a good trope. It's a good trope. Spooky kid action. I'll take it. I'll take a little in my coffee. (laughs) Well, what what made the book kind of add to that little bit of insanity as well is that it never ex- it, well it does eventually but at the beginning it doesn't explicitly say gods or are real or not real like there's no proof given to you that the supernatural is real until really a lot later the the the, the real point that i said to myself okay i feel like s- the supernatural stuff is real is when cassius quote unquote flies her to the temple. Yeah. Cause even I, I wasn't even trusting the portal fantasy part um oh. for a while. I did it first and then I was starting to question it a little bit. And th- the fact that um a lot of books where where deities are real, it really does 
do they it usually does a really strong showing towards the beginning of mm-hmm. a real deity walking in or they some glow. show of yeah. power and really it just says oh yeah there was that party like i don't know 10 years ago and the daughter of this god's daughter showed up and it's like well yeah that i mean that kind of just sounds like someone who was blessed by the gods quote unquote right so i don't know how you know how how reliable that narrator is of that story that's definitely part of the the interesting thing about the mythology the the pantheon that she's created and because they seem very accessible these gods they're Mm -hmm. not you know (laughs) what is it they call it like bearded um sky daddy (laughs) type of things you know they're a lot more like no you can make a deal (laughs) yeah they're they're a lot more kind of greek gods where it's like i can walk around on the ground or i'm gonna be up in my tower yeah Um, let's just see how it goes um i think one of my favorite reveals too kind of tying both of these together is when Cassius told her that the whole party thing isn't real. Like, yeah, I've been there. There's not parties every night. What are you smoking? You know? And then I've sure as heck never been to one. That was very like, uh, uh." wait a second. (laughs) And then of course the fact that he doesn't go through like he's supposed to is because he was just sitting there waiting for something to happen because this is all in you know in her room this crazy girl from India. i can just picture him like he's sitting outside like in the hall like looking at his watch and like you know listening for something when she's gonna come out and oh my god and then you have to pull someone out of the dream i really cool stuff really cool stuff i liked their relationship it wasn't quite insta lovey it was of course fast but it wasn't insta love thank god well again you know even then when when you look back through the lens of half of it wasn't real like whoa oh actually this is even more nuanced and interesting right right uh poor edgar the clockmaker he never stood a chance he didn't deserve that <laughs> Poor Edgar. <laughs> a little clockmaker. So their dad's a jerk. Yeah. Their dad is a jerk. I never really liked him, to be honest. Really? Because I thought he was presented pretty sympathetically through most of it. And then it turns out, like, oh, well, yeah, because he's been, you know, ensorcelled this whole time <laughs> to be a great husband. But he also, well, he was just kind of a D bag with the way he treated Morella, but. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't in know. real I, life. <laughs> I didn't like the way that he just shut anybody down the second he didn't like what he was hearing. That's what I didn't like too. That That's really what just drove me nuts. Like someone, like, it's one of those situations in a story where if you just listen to somebody for 15 seconds, everything is going to be solved for you. But he, if, if he didn't, if, if it was not like what he wanted to be hearing, everything's perfect and sunshine and rosy and going exactly his way. She's like, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear you say it. I don't want to hear another word. Go away. Orton out. <laughs> and he just <laughs> drops the mic and hops on a ship. And I just, I hated him so much for that. Oh, well, oh, he yeah. was ensorcelled. But he was an underlying jerk, I guess. Yeah, well, he was very dookie. He had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of dookie kind of behavior <laughs> qualities. He really did, and it wasn't necessary. Um, we love we love a situation where the daughter inherits. We oh, yeah. love that. We Girl love pop. that. Um, really liked Camille a lot, actually. Yeah, she was, she was feisty and strong-willed in her opinions from day one. Yeah. Love that. I felt like in another series, she might have been the star of it. I you agree. know, like the oldest sister, the one whose head is closest to the chopping block now. Like maybe she'd have the most vested interest in finding out if this is a curse. And she's like, what can we do about this, people? 100%. Um, yes. You know, like a kind of more of a Katnessy type given the opportunity. But um, however, that was not the case. Mm-hmm. We're looking at sister number two. I actually like Camille better than I liked Anna Lee. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I found her to be the more compelling character. Mm-hmm. She was, she was, she, I don't know. I don't know what She's it certainly was. certainly the more stereotypical choice. I suppose that's true. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and Annalie is a little bit more, well, I mean, she's, she's a thinking girl. She's sleuthy. Um, mm-hmm. She, you know, she really wants to be with her lighthouse and luckily she gets that. Um, you know, she's just kind of, uh, a different one she kind of she's kind 
kind of in this world go with me here camille is the director annalee is the stage manager <laughs> because I was, who's I was the living. one that organizes everything that takes care of everything it's annalee I was going to say, I think I identified with Annalie <laughs> probably more <laughs> right? because I think she's, she's sort of naturally given to kind of hearing both sides of a story, kind of like waiting to make a big judgment call, which is like not a typical fantasy heroine thing. They tend to be pretty uh, uh, straight arrows in their thinking. Yeah. Like I've already made this decision. I shall protect to this uh, kinglet <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> You know, I, I you know I'm going to go get the sword of power. Yeah. Um. So, and she's a little bit more like, well, we could. Let's maybe go ahead and put together a fellowship though with people who have different strengths. <laughs> I've made a flowchart. <laughs> systematically. I've made a flowchart of how we could go about doing this, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, even like when they're looking for two of the triplets, you know, like she's the one that's like crossing the things off the list and she's dispatching people to things. And yeah, she's always organizing and I don't know, just making sure things get done and things run smoothly. You're yeah. right. And you sold me. Oh, good. <laughs> well, let's see. Did anybody have any final thoughts on this? Um, I, I want to go to there. <laughs> I want to go and splash around in the tide pools. I'd like to avoid any angry deities, but uh, it seems like a nice like holiday place. They have a lot of cool festivals. Oh, they do! Every place on this world has cool festivals. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get to talk about it too much. I mean, I guess there's not much to say. I did like Viscardi though. He's a little more on the sinister trickster side. I like my tricksters a little bit more. Blase, blase, a little more sense of humor, a little bit more like, <laughs> yeah. hey, you're a feisty human. I, I kind of dig that. I, I, got, be, I got a little Papa Legba from him, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Yeah, I I really love trickster gods. They're like, <laughs> trickster gods are my favorite gods. Um, But I, yeah, he was a little, a little more bloodthirsty <laughs> than I think I needed in a trickster god. Because I was totally like... <laughs> Oh, Viscardi, he's the trickster god. That's where I'd live. <laughs> you know, when I was first reading it. And then I was like looking at it and I was like, oh, oh. And then as it goes on, it's like, oh, God, he's gross. And he like is about to lick people all the time. And I just, um, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised with how much I loved this book. Very happy mm -hmm. to read it. So while the writing style is not my typical go-to, I want to read more books in this world. Oh. I think that there's mm. there's enough world building to really bring me in and want to know more. Yes. But there's a there's a, so much left open that I feel like she can do really whatever she wants in this space and make it interesting. And I, I think that she did a really good job of of creating a world that that you can really live in. Oh, one, two other things. I'm like, final thoughts, but also this. One, how much do we love an octopus being so prominently featured? That's Scott's favorite animal. Love it. Love it. Love it. I would love to see that family crest. Yes. And I want that bracelet. I want that bracelet. I'll send you my family crest then because this, <laughs> this, this. This is it. Um <laughs> Another thing, when talking about Cassius too and how much he fell in love with Annalie, remember, for his whole life, he's heard stories about her. And I liked that. It was almost a little bit of a role reversal where he was kind of the princess in the tower hearing about this brave knight and mm -hmm. all of the works that knight did out there that he fell in love with the story of her. And that should not go unmentioned. <laughs> That's a lovely way to put it. And then I do have a gripe. Aaron, where's the map? There's no map in this fantasy book. That is a genre junkies strike against you. <laughs> if when you have a fantasy book with no map, we will call you out for it every time. I wish there was a map at least of their islands. Yeah. I am actually okay with there not being a map of the entire world in this case because I like I said, I like how kind of open it's been left to yeah. play in the space. Yeah. I would have liked a map of the island, kind of get a better idea of, you know, how far away were these other islands? Because some, because it kind of felt like it was like, I'm just going to cross the river here and go to the other island. <laughs> 
Right. Well, yeah. And like, because Sultan is kind of its own little place. And yeah, no, I just, uh, it's it's a genre junkies gripe. We will always publicly announce when you don't have a map yeah. in your fantasy book. Um, all right, there you have it. So zero stars. Zero stars. <laughs> House of Salt and Sorrows, a stage manager's fairy tale. Finally one for the stage managers. Um, how many, uh, what should we score this out of? Oh, it has, come on. Doesn't it have to be octopuses? Or legs? Sure. Octopuses. Tentacles? Tentacles. I think it should be. What do you think, Scott? You're the. How many the- How many tentacles out of eight? I think that okay. that sounds perfect. Perfect. Oh, okay. I guess I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> it's appropriate. It's appropriate. I think that this is a really interesting and and, and uh, well-conceived book. I I liked a lot of stuff about it. The more I talk about it and the more I think about it, the more things are really inventive and creative in this. Um, yeah, you. but, uh, you know, there's a few things about the writing that just... Um, that just read slow to me. I am going to give this six out of eight legs. Tentacles. Tentacles. <laughs> Ar- well, I mean, really, arms. it's arms. Octopuses don't have tentacles. We don't really have time to go into this whole thing. They but really yeah, arms. We're going to, let's brain. stick with tentacles because it's fun to say. <laughs> Amanda, how many tentacles out of eight? I'm going to give it seven out of eight. And that's only because, you know, you always have room to grow. I, there's always something. But um, but there there's nothing specifically I would name. I I just and there's a lot I'm given of, it seven yeah. and I'm standing by it. There's a lot of octopuses that actually have seven arms and not eight. Hank, Hank the octopus from Hank. <laughs> from Finding Dory. Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with it. You know what? They'll adapt just fine. And you know, and I think probably that's that last eighth one is just adapted because of the turtle scene. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda actually has a weird thing with sea turtles. Another thing we don't have a lot of time to get into in this episode. But with Amanda and the sea turtle, there's a lot to unpack. And it it involves real sea turtles. (laughs) Um, But anyway, that's her hero's journey. That's that's, that's her hero's journey story. Um, I also give it seven tentacles out of eight. Uh, Absolute delight. Something I am so, so happy i read and i just hope i can encourage it into the hands of other people that will appreciate it all right manda thank you so much for being back on the show thank you for having me it's so much fun to talk with you guys oh we love to see it um (laughs) love having (laughs) you here and especially because this was a little bit of a tricky one for scott to land on so it was nice to have you in my corner backing me up a little bit that's good. I feel like books are almost always better when you talk it out. Like, that's yes. stories. Right? You gotta share stories. You yeah. gotta share them. Yeah, share them. All right. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. Please keep reading past your bedtime. Mm-hmm.